Every person has something to contribute to this great work of God, to take the gospel to the nations of the world and to take the gospel to our jobs, to take the gospel to the dry cleaners and to the gas station and to the Circle K. Amen. Wherever we go, he wants our light to so shine before men. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, ye shine as lights in the world. Isaiah 60, arise and shine. Darkness will cover the earth. You can get deeply discouraged and forget that you have the greater power within you. The Bible said, darkness shall cover the earth, Isaiah 60 and verse 1. And gross darkness will cover the people. Darkness covering the earth, gross darkness, deep, thick darkness will cover the people. The God of this world, the prince of darkness, has blinded the minds of men. How are we to react to that kind of condition? Darkness shall cover the people. Gross darkness shall cover the earth. And the next verse says, Arise and shine, for the light has come. Thy light has come. And the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon, be upon thee and be seen upon thee. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. How many would love to just shine for Jesus? We used to sing this little light of mine. Now I sing this bright light of mine. I'm going to let it shine because there's nothing little about the light of the glory of Jesus Christ within you and within me. There's nothing small about that. This is the greater force that is in the world today and the church has it and if we take it out from under the bushel (laughs) that all in the house might see amen we'll fulfill what that song is singing about let it shine praise god hallelujah in order to do that we need to be spirit filled be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be ye filled with the spirit pentecostals and charismatics need to understand that scripture Because we look back to when we were baptized in the Holy Ghost. The actual scripture says, be being filled. Not having been filled years ago, but be being filled. And when opposition came to the early church and that persecution came and they were told not to preach or teach under the threat of death and would have killed them if it wasn't for the people and a notable miracle They came back and said, Lord, behold, their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. And when they had prayed, the place wherein they gathered was shaken and these spirit baptized apostles were filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? Be being filled. It doesn't mean a one time thing past history. It means a constant daily infilling of the Holy Ghost. Not that he's not already there, but it's when he rises up out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water springing up unto everlasting life. Praise God. I sat down last night. By the way, if you want to get into a good Bible study that I believe will help you, go to our website, download Sun Ripened Fruit. We'll be up there sometime this week. S-O-N. Everybody say S-O-N. It's about the fruit of the Spirit, and I believe we need this message in our lives. I need it in my life. I never teach that I don't 
get taught. Amen. Hallelujah. And God teaches through teachers, and he teaches the teacher first so the teacher can teach. Did you go to, did you have to uh, have some degrees in, in order to be a math teacher? You had to learn math to be a teacher. Amen. Praise God. Well, I have to learn some lessons from the Word to teach the Word. So it don't start with you guys. It starts with me. And I've often preached and taught myself in, under conviction. I have preached something that I went home and had to pray about. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because it's the Word of God, and it works first. Let the husbandman be the first partaker of the fruits. Praise God. And I, and I appreciate it because it keeps me, keeps me where I need to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. So, Lord, we just want to be, be being filled. Say that with me today. Be being filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We, what would happen if, if all of us that have been filled with the Holy Ghost would ex, experience that mighty rushing wind in our soul today, that up out of our innermost being, that he could flow not just to us again, but through us again. Hallelujah. What kind of revival would come with all of those rivers flowing together in a mighty flood of victory? Hallelujah. And praise. Everybody say, be being filled. In order for that to happen, Lord, I want, I want to re, rededicate my life to you, to do it on a daily basis, not just monthly or when some evangelist comes and challenges me. I want to be your servant for your purpose. So fill me every day. Let, let not me be drunk on the wine of worldliness, the wine of responsibilities even, the wine of distractions, but let me be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. God is gracious. Let's sing this song while we surrender to Him this morning. Glory to God. He's springing up and gushing out. What happens to still water very quickly it happens stagnation spiritual stagnation can come into spirit-filled people because we have been taught you got it you got it you got it you got it back in 02 or whatever you were baptized in the holy ghost here's your pen you're spiritual now getting the holy ghost into us is no problem if you get hungry and want to be filled. But getting the Holy Ghost to flow up and out through us is the challenge today. Out of your belly. He comes in immediately. But when He comes up and out, that's when rivers of living water begin to flow. And they begin to flow through you and me. We become tributaries to a mighty purpose of God in our generation. Every one of us contributes and therefore becomes a tributary. And the power of water is incredible. Look at the Grand Canyon. You, you've been there and looked at I have been told that there's no picture, there's no slide presentation, high-definition TV, high-definition photographs cannot do justice to that awesome sight and it was all cut by water flowing back out to the sea, cutting through solid rock that deep.
That's why when the enemy comes in, he comes in with that kind of force. He comes in like a flood. Flood will take houses and take them away. Mighty oaks will be carried away with a flood depending on the depth of it, the width of it, and the force of it. But when he does that, amen, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him, a banner, the the standard bearers, the one that went before the army, amen, and carried the insignia of that nation. And our insignia, our banner bearer is Jesus Christ today. He goes before us, and that's why we're assured of victory. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. That means let God stir you. They spoke the word of God with boldness, and those spirit-filled apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did they need it again? They already had it. They needed to allow God to flow through them in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the discouragement, in the midst of the darkness around them. And with great power, gave the apostles res- witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. If you want to visit an empty tomb in Jerusalem, you go ahead. But that is not the greater sign. It is, it is the empty tomb, but they don't even know for sure that that's the tomb. And even if it was, he ain't there. But he is here. What? Yes. Oh, not just in this building because where two or more gather, there am I in the midst of them. But he's here because I came in here. He's here because you came in here. Can you say, man, he, he doesn't show up. You say, oh, God showed up so powerfully. No, he didn't. He came in with you. He came in with me. Oh, by the way, when we leave here, he ain't going to stay in this building. He's going to go with us all the way. And he does it in and through the Holy Spirit today. But well, we want to thank you for your giving. Are you getting anything so far in this stir? God is stirring me. I pray God is stirring you. Praise God. See, the gifts lay dormant. They become stagnant within us. So stir up the gift that is within you. Stir up the gift that is within you. In Timothy's case, they had laid hands on him because the call to ministry, he still needed hands laid upon him that the ministerial gifts that would be appropriate for his calling would be imparted to him. And there was an impartation of spiritual gifts. But when he became discouraged, he didn't use his faith or activate his faith. He lost the vision. Then those gifts were dormant and stagnant within him. So Paul writes him a letter and said, I know that you've got the faith to stir that gift. I know you've got the gift because we laid hands on you. I know the gift is within you. And I know you got faith because there was faith in your grandmother Eunice and Lois and your mother. And oh, did that come by osmosis living at home? No, it said from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture. Faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. Thou hast known the Holy Scripture which is able to make you wise unto salvation. You got faith when you feel like you've been jerked through a knothole backwards. And Satan is counting on you not using it because you feel so overwhelmed. Oh, that's a revelation for somebody here today. 
How can I feel overwhelmed and have faith? I thought if I felt overwhelmed, no, that's over in your emotional man. And your emotional man is more influential at that point than your spirit man. But though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And we're to be strengthened with all might. Where does it all begin? Where does God begin that? In the inward man. That's why it's out of your inward man, or belly as the word was used. Out of your inward man, there shall flow rivers of living water, springing up unto salvation. Have you ever been witnessing to someone, and you knew that something had been activated within you, and you knew this is not just me talking? Because if you just put me up behind the pulpit and hand me a microphone, I couldn't talk like this. I'd be too self-conscious. But here as I'm sharing Jesus or a testimony with somebody, I feel someone, something bigger than me, operating right now in the supernatural. You just begin to operate in the supernatural. Can you say man? And we're against a spirit being that's going to oppose us. But we have spiritual resources in Jesus Christ today. Just want to encourage you in the Lord to let that river flow and to know that you do have faith. And it don't take, oh, but this is a mountain and my faith seems so small. Well, who's your faith in? Is your faith in yourself? Is your faith in your faith? Or is your faith in God? It's in God. Well, if it's in God, it's big enough. If your faith is in God, it's big enough. Satan is counting on you looking at the mountain and looking at the size of your faith or the way you feel the size of your faith is and say, my faith is like a mustard seed to this mountain. So I can't expect the mountain to move because I'll need a mountain-sized faith to move a mountain. First thing Jesus said when they asked him to increase their faith, you know what he said? He said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Don't have faith in your faith. Have faith in your Father. Don't have faith in your faith. Have faith in His faithfulness. Hallelujah. Have faith in God. Because if you had faith in God, it don't take a lot of faith to get God's will done because He wants it done. Have faith in God. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, and you said unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and you doubt not in your heart that what you say is going to come to pass, because you have faith in God that's going to move that mountain, you will have whatever you saith. Satan wants you to keep convincing yourself and disqualifying yourself from having any kind of power and authority so that the mountain stands in defiance of you. And mountains are overwhelming. Mountains of circumstance, mountains of sickness, mountains of financial burden, mountains of emotional upheaval. They're mountains. Mountains are not little bitty things. They are mighty things in the way of God's purposes in our life and God's promises to our life. Zerubbabel was given an assignment from God that the opposition to it, the persecution, the, the, the circumstances of it 
was way beyond anything he could imagine that he might be able to achieve it. There was a mountain in the way. And it was overwhelming him, just like it overwhelms us. And here's what God spoke to him, and I pray we'll hear it this morning. God spoke to him and said, Zerubbabel, the mountain that stands before you shall become as a plain, flat as a plateau or a desert. Not by might. Everybody say, Phew. that's a load off of me. Because I hit mountains from time to time, and I'm glad it's not based on my strength, my ingenuity, my intelligence, my ability, or my physical energy. The mountain that stands before you shall become as a plain, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Can you say, man, how many know God can move a mountain? Hallelujah. So he's not asking you to have a mountain of faith to move a mountain. He's asking you to have a pure, personal faith in God's ability and God's faithfulness. Lord, increase our faith. He said, have faith in God. It starts with the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is not your faith. Don't look to see how much you have. Direct what you have toward the Lord. Because he's given you enough to get saved. And if hell could have stopped you from doing anything, the devil would have stopped you from coming to Jesus. But the moment you desired to come to Christ, all of hell's imps, all of hell's minions, all of Satan's cohorts, and Satan himself couldn't keep you from receiving Jesus as your Savior. You know why? To every man, every person that is born on this planet was given the measure of faith, enough faith to believe the gospel, enough faith to trust in Christ. Can you say, man, now that measure can grow within you, but you got enough right now to, to scare the daylights out of the devil. Only problem is ain't no daylight in him. You, you, and you, he's not going to get out of the darkness, but I'm going to tell you something. The devil is afraid of you. And the devil is afraid of me. And that's why the persecutions come. He fights what he fears. He persecutes us. He, he does everything to make us doubt and fear and, and to distract us that he might defraud us out of who we are in Jesus and who Jesus is in us. Hallelujah. But today I sense it. I feel God wanting to do something big in and through his people. Hallelujah. Darkness has covered the earth. Gross darkness has covered the people. There's a mountain of circumstance against winning anybody to Jesus and seeing a last day revival. But I want you to know what God is saying to the church arise under those conditions. Now is not time to sit down and be idle, but to rise up. Arise and what? Shine! For the light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee and shall be seen upon thee. That means people won't, they won't see cloven tongues of fire like the day of Pentecost, but they will sense something so different about you. I go to places and people just, I, I, they, they, they know, they know, they know Mr. Robert is here. Backwards Bob is here. 
Amen. God gives me favor. God gives me influence so I can let them know that the reason you see something in me that is different from everybody. You see me on Monday, and I don't look like the rest of the Monday crowd. You see me waiting in line, and I don't look impatient. I might be impatient, but I don't look it. Amen. I, I, I usually smile and tell somebody else in line, it's time for my daily prayer. Lord, give me patience and hurry. Can you say amen? That's not how it works. That's not how it comes. But that's how I wish it could happen many times. Hallelujah. God's not done on this old planet. Hallelujah. I believe there is a last. Sean has prophesied to me time and time again under the anointing. And I've received it every time. And I'm receiving it now more than ever. He has saved the best wine for the last. My wife had great health. She was with me in every service for 45 years, and she's not now. But you know something? I've been stripped of every other help but God and the Holy Spirit. It's getting down to me and God, me and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to take every kind of responsibility for anything to do with church off of my wife so she can get better and get well and not worry and not fret about nothing. I preached a message that put me put me in the in the altar about the missionary. And it was actually a teaching message on one of our let's talk about Jesus, talking about faith that receives. And I, I was teaching the message. I remember the missionary telling the true story. Said in the little mission house that they had to take a a, a, a plane uh, to the big airport in Africa. Then they had to take a small plane uh, to a, a small airfield. And then they had to take a four-wheel drive vehicle out to some point where there was a river. And then they had to take a canoe down the river to this particular tribe that he had went and ministered to and now was going to live with them and, and mentor them and disciple them. And in that little mission house, there was no furniture there was hardly any furniture, and he, was, he, he hardly noticed, he said, because they were bringing stuff by plane, by the canoe, and he said he was trying to figure out how to tell them and tell the interpreter to tell them in their language what it is to really trust God, to have faith, to believe. And he said he couldn't find a word in their language, so they could understand faith. Have faith in God. And he said, just about the time that he was trying to figure all of this out, two men came in with a couch that they had carried from the river to the mission house. A little, plain, but comfortable couch. And they brought in this couch and sit it down. And one of the men was so tired from the heat and the humidity and the weight and the journey that he just plopped down on the couch and laid out, laid himself out completely on that couch and said a word in his language. And the missionary said, what was that word that he just said? He told him what the word was, says, what does it mean in your language? It said to put all of your weight upon. All of it. 100% of it. Wow. And so we see we're carrying things 
And so I was carrying something when I was reading that. And I began to teach in the Bible study. Relax. How many? Three, four of those? Relax. God's got this. Relax. Wait a minute. I can't relax. You don't understand what I'm facing. Yes, I do understand. I know it's overwhelming. That's why you need to relax. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Scripture says, there it is. They say it. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain you. He will never suffer or allow the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden upon the Lord. And he will sustain you. See, what we want is not to use our faith and relax in him by relying totally on him. We want him to strengthen us so that we can relax. He says, relax so I can strengthen you. Stress is killing people. It's lowering their immune system. It's making them susceptible to things that the human body is already equipped by God to withstand. But stress begins to lower the immune system. When I had that stroke, they looked for a reason. They gave me CT scans. They checked these big arteries going up to my head. They, they, they put me through all kinds of testing while I was in the hospital. And they came up with zero reason for it. I was at my eye doctor getting an exam, and he is an ophthalmologist, and he is an eye surgeon, and he is about ready to retire, and I'm going to miss him because he's experienced. He knows his business, and he, I told him about having the stroke, and they couldn't find a reason, and he was looking in my eye for evidence of capillaries that may have burst from high. There's no high blood pressure. Thank God the peace of God came over me, and there was no high blood pressure. There wasn't high blood pressure during the stress. That's an amazing thing. My blood pressure wasn't elevated. There was nothing burst. It wasn't that kind of stroke. So they assumed it was a blockage. And they said, well, maybe, maybe they're speculating. Maybe a, a piece of plaque came off and clogged for a little while. And, and, but they couldn't figure it out. They had nothing substantial. But my eye doctor said, were you under stress? I said, my, my dad, uh, I was a caregiver to him full-time minister and pastor of a church. And my son is, is living with us. I have to do everything for him. I'm a caregiver to Matthew. I'm a caregiver to my father. I'm a caregiver to my wife. I'm a caregiver to my church. I'm a caregiver to everybody. He said, that's enough. If you stay under that kind of responsibility, that kind of pressure, that's enough. That's all it takes. And so I begin to see my strategy for health. Since they couldn't find anything to fix, I could fix something. I could relax in the Lord. I could trust in God. I could give people to God. I could give myself to God. Hallelujah. And friend of mine, I'm going to tell you, this. I can't turn this around. I was going to illustrate this, but um, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should. 
you know something? I could preach from right here for about three minutes before I got too excited and have to get up. But this is awfully nice. Maybe a little too nice. Can you say amen? That's what it means. That was the word he was looking for. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him and he, he, not you and your energy, ingenuity, and certainly not your worrying and fretting over something. He will bring it to pass. I went through nervous exhaustion and the devil tricked me the same way. And I'm beginning to learn his, his devices. I read a scripture when I first started pastoring. Paul saying, in that that cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, the Bible said to cast your care on him. First Peter five and verse seven, casting all of your care upon him because he cares for you. I love it in the amplified of the of the actual Greek. It says casting all of your care, the whole of your anxiety. Completely upon him for he cares for you and watches over you affectionately he loves you his eyes are upon you his you have his hand and his help because you have his heart he loves you he loves you he loves you he watches over you affectionately praise god but i thought care was part of the job description I carry this care. I carry this concern. I mean, look what Sister Hoopendicker is doing. Don't she know better than that? I'm carrying her. No, no, I've got to give her to God. That's, after a while, it's not between me and Sister Hoopendicker and God. It's between Sister Hoopendicker and God. And I can pray for Sister Hoopendicker, but in that prayer, there's a point where I give her to God. My son went crazy after he got out of the parsonage. He went nuts. And the devil used what he was doing out there to torment me. And I remember when he was in the hospital and he left bleeding internally, throwing up blood and passing blood. And the devil screaming, I'm going to kill him tonight and take his soul. And I was on the phone with the South Florida Baptist Hospital and fell to my knees because I was too weak to stand up under the overwhelming stress of it all. But in that position, someone said, if, you, if you're weak, fall on your knees. I, I didn't do that to express my faith. I did it because I was overwhelmed. I was overcome with the grief of it. Just the, I knew the devil is a liar, but everything else says that's going to happen. And I interceded with just a weak voice feeling faint of heart, I interceded for my son. And I found out you don't have to shout to get your prayer heard in heaven. Hallelujah. You can if you want to, but you do not have to. Amen. God hears the faintest cry, as the song says, and he will answer by and by. As David said, he bends down. He inclines his ear to me. He bends down to listen when I pray. 
So the devil wants you to think my prayer is too weak. My faith is too small. He's a liar. He's the father of it. Your prayer is heard in heaven. When you come to the father in the name of Jesus Christ, you have his ear. You have his undivided attention. And the devil wants you to say, why bother? I don't have enough faith. I'm full of doubt and fear. No, no. You may have doubt and fear, but you are full of faith. You know why you're full of faith? It may be small, but if it's in God, that's all that's necessary. Everybody say, I don't need a mountain of faith to move a mountain. I just need my faith to be in God and God alone. God strips us down of all the things we lean on. (laughs) Amen. And he brings us to a pure faith in him where we can relax in him because God has got this. And I was feeling the stress beginning to build in a particular area. And I read that missionary story again. And I went in and laid down on the couch. I did my praying laying down. Hallelujah. I said, Lord, I want this to be symbolic to me and to you. And to let you know that I seek you with all of my heart. But I'm seeking you with faith. I'm fighting with all of my might. But my might is all wrapped up in you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Fight the good fight of faith. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to get in this battle right here. Hallelujah. Lord, I know you got him. I know he's in your hands. I know the devil can't kill him. Because he is my son, and I am your son, and you are my father, and I am interceding. I am a priest unto God in my household, and I'm interceding for my child. Hallelujah. And, and devil, you will not kill him, and I'm not fretting, and I'm not going to get up and wring my hands. I'm going to get up and raise my hands and thank God that He is faithful. Can you say, man? Well, the venerable, you don't do that until after you find out how He is. No, if faith is operating, you do that. And you do that. You do that because you trust that God is in control no matter what. One day I'm going to preach a message called The Big Butts of the Bible. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, unavoidable, but God delivereth him out of them all. I went to the hospital when George Suarez's daughter had a wreck on the back of a scooter with another girl. She ended up in the hospital with, they didn't know if she had internal bleeding or internal injuries. They had her back. When I got to the hospital, George and Patty were already there. When I got to the hospital, they were, they were assessing her condition. And they were concerned about internal injuries, not just maybe from fractured ribs or bones, but bleeding internally. And I had just preached two or three weeks before that occurred about many are the afflictions of the righteous. Being a Christian doesn't mean you won't have any trouble. In fact, being a Christian means you're guaranteed trouble. Thank you for the hearty amens. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Cheer up! I have overcome the world. 
I went before you. I'm still going before you. I've robbed you of power to harm you if you'll keep your trust in me. That's what he's saying. I've conquered it in your behalf. Glory to God. So I walked in and I, I saw these two parents waiting to hear what may or may not be occurring with their daughter. And I had been praying all the way there. And when I walked in, I was so glad to hear a good report. Not from the doctors, but from George and Patty. They were standing there holding hands. You could see that they had been concerned. I said, have the doctors said anything? They said, they haven't told us anything but God. But God. But God delivers out of every circumstance. And she came out and she was okay and she was fine and everything was all right. And I walked into where faith had been sown through the Word of God and in the time of crisis that faith in God had rose up. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know if you know what you're doing here today, but you're here to hear something that will cause faith to rise within you. Can you say amen? And you won't have to try to work it up, crank it up, push it up. When the time comes, it'll show up. Can you say amen? When the fear comes, faith will show up and God will show out. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivereth him out of them all. Hallelujah. I'm glad God is in the mix. God is in the circumstance. God is in the trial. God is in the storm. God is involved in all of these things. Hallelujah. I don't have the resources physically that I used to have. People that shore me up. But I'm learning, David. Learning. I'm learning. I'm still learning. I'm a student biblically and spiritually. I'm learning to lean on Jesus more and more and more. And, and if I have another stroke, if that occurred, it, it won't be stress this time. If it is, it'll be my own fault. You say, Brother Rimmel, the devil tried to kill you. He tries to kill everybody. Well, he really tried to kill you because you're a preacher. No, he killed me because I'm a Christian. He hates all of us. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking who doesn't have their armor on. Seeking whom he may devour. Who is vulnerable to him. Who he can have access to. That's why the Bible said, Take ye the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand and withstand in the evil day, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be enabled to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Amen. Everything he's got in his arsenal can be quenched with the shield of faith. Hallelujah. So, where's the devil's point of attack? Number one, keep him from having any faith. Some people don't see the value of Bible study. And yet faith comes by the Word of God. Pentecostals used to want everything to happen through the power of God, through the anointing on the preacher. I had pastor's Bible study years ago at the Holy Church of God. We had eight to ten people. The morning service when healing lines and 
words of prophecy were given and people fell out under the power of God. We had over a hundred people in Sunday morning services, sometimes use the balcony on Sunday night. And I don't ever want to lose that anointing and that presence of God. But without the word of God as a foundation, people would fall out under the power but didn't have the faith to receive the answer. God was all over them, but they couldn't make contact so the virtue from him could flow to them. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. And you shall have whatsoever you saith. We're going to receive our offering at the end of this teaching because we're too deep into it to stop now. Hallelujah. So God instructed me to try to instill in people a hunger for his word. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst. That's what will make you drive out of the way to get under the anointed word of God and to be challenged so you can be changed. God wants to change, turn your frown upside down. Look at somebody and say, God wants to turn your frown upside down. What do you think it's going to look like when it's upside down? Amen. It won't crack your makeup. Go ahead and smile. Amen? I mean, some people haven't smiled in so long. They've put so many layers of makeup over the frown lines that if they smile, it's going to crack the makeup. A merry heart does good like a medicine. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Everybody's making this some hard, heavy responsibility instead of a wonderful privilege of coming to the Father. And casting our burden upon him. Let the heart of them rejoice. Let's start out. We, we, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Why should I be rejoicing when I need God so desperately? Because you have him. You have his heart. You have his promise. Hallelujah. You have his word on it. Glory to God. What is the word for faith to this tribe? What that man just said, what does it mean to put your full, absolute weight on something you trust will hold you up so you don't have to do anything but relax? Minister had a TV minister. I'll never forget his testimony. The budget was extraordinary. He asked for pledges. People gave them. But they didn't keep their pledges. They didn't send in all they promised. He had above and beyond the budget for that month if everybody had kept their pledge. But sometimes people are not that committed. Sometimes people have circumstances arise. Sometimes your electronic fuel pump goes off in your van like mine did. And it's labor-intensive. Fuel pump don't cost that much. But when you pull the tank and drain all the gas out and put in another fuel pump and then a fuel filter, and to get the fuel filter in the van, you have to pull the dash. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. <laughs> Brother Hobbs said, time trade that bad boy in. 
Amen. Well, that would be nice if I hadn't put so much in it. Amen. And things happen. So he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed. He's sitting at his desk and said, I don't see how in the world that this need is ever going to be met. And he said, I was sitting there and I was just, you know, the stress begins to build, the worry, the legitimate responsibilities and concerns come. We're not all worry warts. Sometimes things just, life is complicated. Things happen. You, you can't live simple anymore. You're trying in Alabama, but it's going to, you know, somebody's going to show up and something's going to happen. That dock isn't to code and you've got to tear it down and rebuild it. I, I hope that never happens, but it could happen. I didn't mean to sow that bad seed. I take it all back. Disregard that last comment. There's a church near where I live that evidently wasn't built to code. They got it walls all the way up, but they couldn't put the roof on because something was wrong. And it was a big, humongous church, and the block is all in place and everything. But instead of trying to tear it down to the ground, something to do with the foundation, <laughs> they just abandoned it. It's just sitting there. been sitting there for years, and they built a nice church beside of it. They just went and said it's cheaper to build from the ground up by code than to tear it down and try to meet the code. So you can, it's hard to live stress-free, but we've got to give people to God. We've got to give ourselves to God. We've got to give our circumstances to God. We've got to give it all to God. And when we do, we can relax because God's got it. Believe me, when you give it to him, he's got it. Look at somebody and say, if you give it to him, he's got it. And if he don't have it, you haven't given it to him. He can be trusted. I could trust God with my son. I couldn't find him. I didn't know where he was. I couldn't go rescue him. But God knew where he was. And God rescued him. And God didn't let the devil kill him. And the bleeding stopped. Without any medication, somewhere out there in the night, God showed up and the bleeding stopped. While I was overwhelmed on my knees saying, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, help my son. Devil, you, you will not kill him. I was weak. My prayer was small in terms of the volume of it, but God was listening. And that's all that's necessary to get an answer. This is the confidence we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, we know He hears us. And if we know He hears us, we know we have the petition that we have desired of Him. Everybody say, God's got it. God's got it. God's got it. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will sustain you, casting all of your care. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Casting all of your care. Casting, oh, oh, no, not just that and this, but all of your care. The whole of your anxiety. Once and for all upon Him. Because He cares for you. And He Therefore, watches over you affectionately. Don't you love that? God loves you. Don't ask me why. I don't know why he loves me. Somebody said he loves me because I'm so lovable. No, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. That's not why he loves you. That's not why he saves you. You want to know why he loves you? 
Do you want to know why He loves you? Because of a covenant. Because of a covenant. Because of a covenant. Because of a covenant. And it started with Abraham. And it started with Israel. But we're still in a covenant with God today. A better covenant. Established on better promises. For the blood of Jesus Christ speaks of what? Better things than that of bulls and goats. He said, Israel, I didn't choose you because you were greater in number. You're not a big nation that has something uh, to give you intrinsic value by the sheer numbers of people involved. I didn't choose you because of your numbers. And I didn't choose you because of your temperament. You're not lovable. You're hard to love. You're hard-headed and (laughs) stiff-necked. Somebody say hard-headed and stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. I didn't choose you because you were lovable. Then why did he? He said, but I set my love upon you. I set my love upon you. That I might keep the covenant I made with Abraham thy father. Glory to God. I'm loving you by covenant. And covenant love is not based on how you perform. It's based on God's commitment to love you in spite of yourself. He can't bless you if you don't come to Him. He can't bless you if you don't serve Him. But His love is not contingent on your performance. Covenant love has nothing to do with your performance. He ain't like your mama, your daddy, your aunt or your uncle, or your so-called best friend. Their love can wear thin. They can stop loving you altogether. Can a mother forsake her suckling child? Absolutely, she may. I will never forget you, O house of Israel. I will not. Why? Why, for heaven's sakes? Because He set His love upon them by covenant. Oh, oh, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the children of Israel. How do I know? How do I know you're going to keep your covenant? How do I know you're going to keep your promise to keep your promise? How do I know that you're that kind of God? God did something extraordinary. Suddenly, a fire pot appears. It is glowing. Flames are coming from the top of the fire pot. The fire pot goes over to where there is an animal to be sacrificed. The animal is cut in half. And the fire pot goes to the middle between the two halves of that animal and becomes stationary. What a miracle. He did not ask. Normally, If a covenant was going to be made, the animal would be cut in half. The blood is now there. And the two of the people making a covenant would come. And they would both stand in the blood of the sacrifice animal. 
so let it be unto me as it was this animal if I break my covenant with you. That's what they're saying. If he had asked Moses to come and stand with him, it's not a good covenant. Because man can fail. And if it's based on whether man fails or stands, you don't have hope. But if it's based on God's commitment to keep His covenant and be faithful, there's always hope. We would like to think that we can hold up our end. We cannot. No one ever did it. No one but Jesus. No one but Jesus. You can't do it. Some of you thought you could. You can't. No one can. That's why God didn't call the man to come and stand with him. He stood there by himself and he swore by himself because there was no one greater. I will not lie to David. I'll keep my covenant. I'll keep my promise. So he said, I didn't choose you because you're lovable. I didn't choose you because you have merit. You have worth because of your numbers. But that I might keep the covenant that I have made with Abraham. And with Moses. God's a covenant keeping God. That's why your Bible is separated by two covenants. It's not testaments like a will, last will and testament. That word testament means covenant in the Greek. There are people that like to think you have merit. That you have some kind of special worth because you are. You, listen, God loves you. God will reward you for being faithful. God wants you to be faithful. God will whoop you if you're not faithful. Did you hear me? Am I, is there anything unbiblical about this? Is this in your Bible? Do we have that covenant? Do you want to be head and shoulders above everybody in this room because you're better at keeping your end of the covenant? You don't have an end. When we receive communion, is your blood involved in it? Is there some token of your blood? It has some merit, some worth. Your self-sacrifice has some value to Him. None. Your service has all kind of value. You can't pay the sin debt. If you could live a thousand lifetimes, you could never pay your sin debt. That's why the song said, I bought a debt I couldn't pay. It was growing every day. But Jesus paid it all for me. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Can you say amen? Tetaleste. It is finished. Pentecostals didn't like to hear this message because they like to think if I wear my hair just right, if I wear my sleeves right to here, if my dress comes right to here, I can be holy enough to deserve what God has granted me. Every one of them failed miserably. Everybody I grew up in church with backslid. You know why? They never fell in love with Jesus. They just tried to show everybody else how spiritual they were. How together they had it. And I want to tell you, I'm not 
layering this in because I'm about to confess some great sin. I love the Lord. I've been trying to serve the Lord for 45 years. I've been married 55 years. I don't date. I don't go out on God or my wife. My marriage is not intact because I'm so holy, but because He's so faithful. I love Him. I love Him. And I love my wife by the covenant I made when I married her. Not just the feelings that go up and down with circumstances and age. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't know male hormones ever changed. I went to my... Male hormones change. Things happen. You can lose your hair. There's a spot up here. I have to tell the hairdresser, don't mess with that. I wash it. I let it dry. I brush it. I still see it. But there's a way. There's a technique. You can take one of those fine brushes and just sweep it. And I can still see it. But you sweep it again. And it's so fine. And the hair is so fine. Now you can't see it. Got it. Because if you go out in the wind, (laughs) I got it. I got it this morning. Amen. I got it. I had, I asked the Lord to help me, and he did because it was such a, I thought I had acne again. I thought I was going through my second childhood. I had what they call rosacea, and you break out, and you turn red up here. I'm reddish now because I've worked out in the yard, but I, I and, and I, I asked, she said, there's no cure for this, and I thought, oh, God can handle anything. Don't ever tell me that. I didn't tell her that because she don't understand. She just goes to church on Sunday. She don't know what God's on. You know what I'm saying? I just don't receive, oh, there's no cure for that i anytime something rises up in me and says there's always a cure for anything wrong with me because i have a father hallelujah with whom nothing is impossible so don't tell me there's no cure for that amen anyway i prayed and god has taken care of it and i'm not all broke out this morning amen but she i said what causes that she said your hormones change as you age what i know my wife's does Ladies, they're going to change. You're going to have some feelings sometimes that you don't know why it's there. It's just there. I'm blue. Why are you blue? Why are you blue? I love you. I'm devoted to you. You got a nice car to drive. You got a house to live in. You got shoes. Lord, we got, oh, Lord, you got shoes. <laughs> God chilling got shoes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. And pocketbooks. And there's something in the pocketbook so you can buy some more shoes. Hormones change. You don't have to have a reason. They just change. God understands all of that. And sometimes when you feel the worst and you feel the least, faith is its purest. Faith is can be the most powerful. When my heart, and I thought this was based on people until people begin to be stripped away that I looked to, I never looked to anybody much because I never had anybody much, but words of encouragement are like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. 
Praise God. It is to me. It's precious and, and costly more than any kind of silver or gold anyone could ever give me is a word of encouragement. What a ministry of encouragement. God set his love upon Israel by covenant. That I might keep my covenant with Abraham. I've inscribed you in the palms of my hands that I forget you not. When they got away from him, enemies prevailed over them. But when they came back to him, they found open arms. Everybody say prodigal son. When he came home, what did he receive? What did he deserve, number one? He reserved judgment, chastisement. Can you imagine going up to your dad and saying, I don't want to wait for you to die. I don't want to farm after you're gone. I want to go live my life. Now give me my inheritance right here and right now. Dad gives him inheritance. He goes out and spends it on riotous living. He parties hardy until all the money was gone. And you're going to find out something when the money's gone. Your friends are going to go with it. He's so hungry, he's starving to death. He, he asks a man, can I feed your pigs, not for pay. And the man is watching him so he can't eat the corn. So he feeds the pigs the corn and he would have filled his belly with the husk. He was so starving. I'm going to tell you something. The devil promised you everything and take everything from you. He's a liar and a thief. He said, I, he said, I can't live like this. What a revelation and realization. I always tell people, you know, my son came to a point where he said, I can't live like this. I cannot live like this. I'm going back to my father's house. Just like the prodigal. I can't live like this. I can't live like this. I'm standing in the grocery line in Publix as we close today. And I'm looking at the tabloids, you know, the sensational magazines about the couples out in Hollywood and who's divorcing who and who's going out on who and, and who is doing this and who's doing that and all of this and that. And, and I get up there and, and they had to have a price check on something and the cashier says, sir, I'm sorry for the delay. And I said, that's all right. I was just thinking how thankful I am not to be rich and famous. And pointed at all of that. I'm glad I've got what I need to fulfill my need. I've got Jesus and having food and raiment in Jesus. The Bible said, be content. Amen. You've got everything you need to be happy. You've got everything you need to be holy. You've got everything you need to be useful to God, to have purpose in life. Obviously, they don't have that. When you are loved by covenant, if you're if you're still trying to perform, you're not love is perfect. Love is not operating in your life. It can't be. Fear will crowd in. You're on a tightrope and that tightrope brings tension. There's tension between you and God, because if you don't please him in every iota. You're going to lose his blessing. Be careful. Be careful. If you're going to get in the law, you better go wholeheartedly. 
because you can't go partway and you can't go halfway. You've got to go all the way. You've got to be made righteous by the law or you've got to get it by the blood of Jesus. But you can't blend them. It's oil and water. You can't blend. They won't blend. Can you say, man, the next communion recognize you're receiving a gift? that you do not merit you're receiving a gift that you could not earn you can express appreciation through serving god obediently for that gift but you can't do anything to deserve it can you say man you can't do anything to pay him back away and he will love you for that but he loved you before that because God commendeth his love to us in that while we were yet sinners he paid the greatest price and expression of love Christ died for us while you were ugly in his sight while you stank in his sight while you were a proud sinning blasphemer that deserved nothing but judgment Jesus stayed on that cross for you So don't try to convince Him of your worth. You were worth that to Him when you were at your worst. (laughs) So so don't try to say, Lord, I, I know You can't love me because I'm not this, I'm not that. Yes, He does love you. And He wants you to be this and that for Him. But He wants you to, He don't want you to have to prove yourself to get His love. Nobody loved my mama growing up. My mama didn't know how to love. I don't remember my mama ever hugging me. I would hug her, and when I hugged her, she would stiffen like it was embarrassing. (laughs) I left home at 16, never went back for one night in my life. Did without to take care of my family. Didn't eat lunch for almost a year. I was 122 pounds when I got married. Can you imagine 122 pounds? And after the first year, I was about 125, 26 pounds because I didn't eat lunch working at a grocery store so I could buy milk and baby food to take home. Oh, I did eat something. I ate day-old bread that I had to put in a furnace and burn because they wouldn't give it away. And I would take, especially raisin bread, with a little bit of crust on it, I would eat raisin bread while I was doing that and then go out and drink water, and that was my meal for the day. And you know something, how love works? I didn't see it as a sacrifice, do you? I'm buying milk for my baby, baby food, gas in my car so I can come here and go to work. And somehow we made it. But when we came to Christ... God began to help us. God began to bless us. Hallelujah. I've never missed a meal since I've come. I'm young and now I'm old. And I am not by his standard or his standard, but by her standard. Amen. But I've never, I've never, I've never, not in my life or anybody else's life that truly is righteous before God, that means I'm doing my best to please Him. But none of that makes Him love me more. None of that makes Him love me at all. What makes Him love me is that He made a covenant to love. I'll never forsake you, O house of Israel. 
Never. He had to leave the temple. Ichabod, the spirit of the Lord, departed from that temple, that place of worship. But his covenant with the nation was intact. His earthly presence would not abide those false idols, but his love for the nation was intact. And he said, return to me. And what's going to happen because of covenant love? What is going to happen? You return to me. You don't deserve me. You don't deserve anything but death and judgment. But what's going to happen if you return to me? Because of the covenant, I will return to you. In fact, he said, because he's a keeper of his end of the covenant, I'm married to the backslider. You walk away from me, but I'm a covenant-keeping God. Can you say amen? Are you still listening today? Are you getting this? Fear hath torment, penal imprisonment. He that feareth, and by the way, it's the basis of all our worries. Fear has to be the foundation. You can't worry without fear, so don't say, well, I, I got a legitimate concern. No, it's fear. Treat it as what it is. It's fear. It's fear. He that feareth is not perfected in love. For perfect love casts out all fear. God didn't give you the spirit of fear. But power, love, and not a fretting, anxious-filled Worried to death mind, but a sound mind. Amen. Fear hath torment. Perfect love disarms it, disables it. And it's not our perfect love for God. We reciprocate his love for us. It's his perfect love for us that takes away the fear. And he that feareth is not perfected in love. So to get rid of worry and anxiety so I don't have a stroke because of it, I had to go back to the foot of the cross and focus on his perfect love for me. Not my perfect love for him or my perfect faith in him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Perfect love cast out fear, not the development of your faith to deal with it. That comes later. Love dismantles it. Faith then can destroy it. When I got saved, you could go to hell over just about anything. Love wasn't perfected in us. We, were, we, we tithed because initially we heard that God's going to get his. Go ahead. Keep it in your pocket. God's going to get his. God's going to get his when the doctor comes out and tells you thus and thus and thus. God's going to get his when your house burns down and your car breaks down. I don't see how God's going to get my burned down house and broke down car. Any good out of it. No, he's saying God is going to punish you. God's going to hurt you. Oh, that's a real incentive to serve God. Fear. Fear. 
And preachers would hammer it in. And there are people today. People today. People in this room. How do you know? Because I've told you before, when the Holy Ghost shows me something, he shows me the attitude of people in the audience and their attitudes in this audience, as in most audiences. When I teach on holiness, there are people that want to put me over in the legalistic camp. When I teach on grace, they think that I'm over in the hyper grace camp. Amen. Because they're judging everything. They can't balance anything. They don't believe there's a balance. Amen. They, they want to, they, they don't, they know they can't live perfect, but they like to think they're head and shoulders above everybody else and they deserve the blessings while everybody else deserves a whooping. That's self-righteousness. Salvation is a gift. And it's not like the gift the televangelist gives you. For a donation of $25, we will send you free and postpaid. Wait, 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 wait. Back up, back up, hold it. Wait, I understand for tax purposes. I do understand the financial situation. It's, it's a gift that cost me $25. That's what you're saying. Don't use the word gift. For a donation of $25, we will send you this. But don't ever use the word gift because a gift doesn't cost anything. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God and that not of yourself lest any man should do what the flesh always wants to do and boast I deserve saving because I have turned my life around pull myself up out of drug addiction by my old bootstraps and here I stand pure before God committed to serve Him in everything I say and do. No sin of omission. No sin of commission. Here I am. Take a good look at me. I'm glad I'm not like that man beating on his chest and saying, forgive me a sinner. Only thing is, you can't be justified by any of your goodness. He was raised for our justification after He died. For our salvation. Praise God. I didn't set my love on you. Everybody just say that with me as we close. Set my love on you. Because you were more in number. Or because of your temperament. You're hard-headed, stiff-necked. I've often wondered why God chose to come into covenant with Israel. There are other nations, other peoples on the earth. I believe I get a glimpse of it. Because he wanted to prove the strength of his covenant. Because if he only came into covenant with people who merited, who were lovable, who had a heart to obey, then he couldn't demonstrate how strong his love is. But when he loved the unlovable, he loved those that 
turned against him, rebelled against him, worshipped idols, walked away from him. But when they came back, what happened when the prodigal son came home? What happened? His father saw him coming a long way off. That means his father never quit loving him and quit looking for him and quit praying for him. And when he came home, he ran to him and gave him something worth more than anything else he was going to give him. He fell upon him and he kissed him. Forgiveness and acceptance. Say forgiveness and acceptance. That was the kiss of forgiveness, the embrace of acceptance. The son was penitent and repentant. He said, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But if I could just be a servant to you, sleep out with the servants. I don't even deserve to be accepted back into your household. And you know something? His father would have none of it. This is how covenant love works. He didn't deserve anything but to stay out there and starve to death. If he got any grace from his father, it would be to be treated like a servant and never accepted as a son again. I've heard families say, it's as if you're dead, even unto children that became Christian when they were not. We count you as dead. We had your funeral. You, you can't come in our house. We don't care where you go, what happens to you. No, this dad fell upon him. He kissed him, and he began to give orders. Look at his shoes. They're falling off of his feet. Go get some shoes and put on him. Oh, and don't just get some old feed bag to cover up his tattered clothes and his nakedness. Go get the best robe and put on him. Oh, oh, oh. And go get a ring and put it on his finger. And what ring was that? Did it have a ruby, a diamond? No, it had a signet, the family seal that they sealed their documents with. And you know what that meant? That meant he was a full-fledged, bona fide family member once again with an inheritance waiting for him. No wonder the other son. Everybody say, no wonder the other son. You know what he said? What some people in their heart begin to get that corrupts their faith, takes away their real gratitude for God because they think they deserve something they don't. He gets a party. He gets a celebration. He gets all this love. I've never left your home. I've served you faithfully. I've been right here doing the right thing. And he gets all of this love and attention. It ain't fair. It ain't right. You're right. Grace isn't fair or you wouldn't be saved. I'm saved today for Jesus' sake. God forgave me for Jesus' sake. God forgave you for His sake. You deserve to go to the cross. Not Jesus. It ain't fair. Thank God it's not fair. Be glad when you see God pick somebody up from the guttermost to the uttermost and bless them and rejoice over them with singing because He did that for you when you came to Him. Hallelujah. We're always thinking that way. It ain't fair. It ain't fair. It ain't fair. 
two men go to work in a field. Several men go to work in a field. They start in the early morning at dawn. Somebody comes along and it's afternoon into evening. They still need the field harvested and he goes to work in the field. But he didn't clock in until 3 p.m. And the sun goes down at 6. Somebody clocked in at 6 is going to put in 12 hours. Somebody clocked in at 3 is going to put in 3 hours. Guess what? Everybody say it ain't fair. I want you to get it. Grace ain't fair, so quit trying to make it fair. They all get done at the end of the day. They pay the guy that came in at 3 the same as the guy that came in at 6 a.m. The guy came in at 3 and said, oh... Thank you so much. He knows I don't deserve this. He's filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. The guy that came in at six got the same pay. Is he thankful? No. Is he grateful? No. Is he mad? Yes. Yet there are people sitting here that think, I've been working for God my whole life. I deserve that. You can't deserve something that you couldn't even work for him if he didn't hang on the cross for you. You can't do that. You you can't keep showing him how great you are. You're not perfected in love. And you never will be unless you know we've known and believed the love that God has for us. You've got to know it by revelation. You've got to believe it after you see it by revelation. You've got to accept it by faith and not by feeling. So I didn't grow up being cherished. My mama told me when I was 16 and I was no problem to her. I mopped the floors, emptied the ashtrays. Emptied the garbage, did the dishes to do my part. When I was 16, my mother came into my bedroom and said, when you are 18, you cannot live here any longer. And I told her, I said, Mom, when I'm 18, you don't have to worry. I'm gone. (laughs) I mean, when you live in a situation like I was living in, you're glad to go. You don't have to tell me I got to go. I'm not staying a minute. I just want to get through high school so I don't starve to death when I leave. And I said, I'll, I'll be glad to go. Don't, don't you even fret about that. I'm already being told I'm unwelcome. <laughs> and so, so, so she said, you want to go now? I'll help you pack. I said, Mom, I can't. I'm not through high school yet. Vietnam War had just started. They're taking people up. I didn't care. I had a plan, Stan. Amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm go- when I turn 18, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to get my diploma, and I'm going to join the United States Army. And if they send me to Vietnam or Hong Kong or anywhere else, I don't care. Uncle Sam will give me three meals a day, and, and I won't be living where I'm living. I will be out of here. I didn't know. When I got saved, then I went to a Pentecostal church that told me if I didn't tithe, God was going to tear my car up and make me sick. And and I did tithe, but I, I never fell in love with Jesus. Do you understand? You don't fall in love with God when you live in dread of Him all the time. 
And I was always afraid of displeasing him and stress. I couldn't even get the baptism of the Holy Ghost because I felt like I was unworthy. How do you ever get worthy of someone like that? God had to take me out of church and away from church people. What a shock it was to find out people told me I was un- must have. He won't drill an unclean vessel. That's your problem. You need to do some house cleaning. I thought, I don't know what else I can do. Lord, have mercy. What can I do? I give up everything. I got rid of the television, got rid of the Beatles records. I, I don't smoke anymore. I don't touch any booze anymore. I don't ogle women. I, what, 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 what else can I do, Lord? What else can make me worthy? Because I got to get worthy. I'd wear my hair up in a bun, but I don't have that much hair. Can you say amen? my sleeves get any longer i won't be able to use my hands amen i don't wear tight pants listen lord what do you want from me he didn't want anything from me but my vessel sec he just wanted the whole of my heart he wanted me to love him back and give myself away brother hawks and when i found out he loved me just like i was and he wanted to fill me with his Holy Spirit. I'm still rejoicing in that kind of love for me. Hallelujah. And I love him back. I don't want to fail him. I want to serve him. I want to live right before him. Hallelujah. But not because I dread him. He does chasten. But listen, he does it out of love. Only out of love. Only out of love. So today I want to ask the question. Are you walking in the reality of being loved by covenant? Do you know that God has set his love upon you? And that true faith, true faith worketh by Love. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I have prayed for people that was dying. And they couldn't go and undo something. They couldn't go and. Like the thief on the cross. They couldn't come down and go and be baptized in water. I baptized your brother. In the nursing home. He got saved. I prayed the sinner's prayer with him. And the man got, I don't know what he was before he got saved. But I know he got saved. How do you know? Because he prayed the sinner's prayer. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a lot more than a power gift given on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit began to move out into the world. Praise God. Hallelujah. And he asked to be baptized. And I went in and asked the nurse, can I have a towel, a big towel? And I put it behind his head and under him. And, 
And then I took a washcloth. I cannot have a washcloth and a basin. And I took the washcloth. Well, I don't believe in sprinkling. I believe you've got to be immersed. You're going to hell if you're not immersed. Honey, I don't believe in sprinkling. I don't believe it represents water baptism. But you're not. Listen, the doctrine of baptisms is not what we're into. Paul said you're not going on to maturity if you're still hung up on how we baptize. Well, you need to be baptized. But if the formula has hung you up, you're missing. Jesus and the blood and the cross and the forgiveness and the covenant. You're splitting hairs. You're making it difficult for God to save the people that Jesus suffered and died so He could save them. Because you want to argue. You'd rather argue than to love. Or to even let God love. You know, there's churches won't let God love like He loves. My dad was seeing a lady. I used to pray they would marry because she was rich. Not really. I was just hoping. She gave a grand piano to the church. Owned a nursing home. And uh, nothing came of it. But anyway, one can only hope. Her husband got sick in the hospital wasn't going to recover. Her pastor from a particular denomination went and prayed with him, so-called. I don't know what in the world they could have prayed because he said, do I have to be baptized in water now to be saved? Well, he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't. He would have if he could, but he couldn't. They said, yes, you do. He said, you mean I'm going to hell? He said, yes, you are. He said, you mean there's no hope for me? He said, no, there's none. You've got to be careful of what you grab a hold of as a doctrine. You've got to be careful how you interpret the Scripture. Can you say, man, just because you don't love somebody don't mean God don't love them. And just, re- oh, listen to me. I don't violate Scripture either, but there is. Listen, the thief on the cross did something that a lot of religion will not, re- not allow. He said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, and I don't know about you, but I'll let Jesus have the final word. How many believe Jesus is not some conclave or some denomination or some crazy Christian? Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Do you believe Jesus meant it? Do you believe He went to heaven instead of hell? And if you don't believe that, you need to find you one of those churches and you need to watch out because the same judgment you meet without is going to come right back on your head. And I don't know about you, but I can't afford that kind of stuff. I need mercy and grace and help. Chastisement when, it's, when He chooses it's necessary. I don't ask for it, but from time to time I get it anyway. Because He loves me. He loves me. My pastor went to visit him. And he said, they prayed the sinner's prayer, he repented of every sin. And he accepted Christ as his Savior. And my pastor hugged him and said, if you could come to church, if God will let you come, would you let me baptize you? He said, I would do it in a I'd do it in a moment. I want to be ready to meet the Lord. But that night he went home, but my pastor assured him 
that he would be okay. You can't make a doctrine out of water when it's the blood that was shed to save. So, after praying the sinner's prayer with your brother, the nurse, and she knew what was happening when I asked for the basin. And I took the water and I squeezed it and let it drip all over his head and face. And I said, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus Christ because there are people. You know why I use the name of Jesus and the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Because there are people out there that if you're not baptized in Jesus' name, regardless of the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the love of God, you are going to hell. They're out there. Because of Acts 2.38, that meant if that page was torn out of a Bible and you had the whole Bible and you adhered to it and you believed it and you came to Christ and you lived for Christ and you died without that one page, your soul is still lost because people would rather argue than love and help people come to know Jesus. Split hairs over doctrine. Every time I tell the story of squeezing something over somebody's head, there's somebody sitting in the audience saying, that ain't baptism. Oh, my dear friend, I hope you never miss it. I hope you never get in need for grace and mercy from God. I hope, oh yeah, and how, how dare people say that God don't love enough and care enough to save a willing soul when he saved the sinner on the cross. I prayed for people that couldn't pray with me because they, they, they couldn't speak anymore. But I had them squeeze my finger and communicate and pray the sinner's prayer. And people say, ah, that ain't, oh no, you let it alone. You stay away from that. You're not called to the judgment seat. You're called to the witness stand. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. 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 You know what I'm talking about. You've been in churches that had rules and regulations that were not biblical, teaching for commandments, the traditions of men. Listen to me very carefully today. Amen. We got to roll on, church. We got to get into something that's real. And the love of God is real. The other man I prayed for was the same way. He sat drinking beer every Sunday morning. I said, come go to church at 10th and Sitka. And they were drinking beer at 10 a.m. Drank all day long. And they said, the church will fall down if I come. But they heard the word. The speakers were loud. So was the preacher. They sat on that bench sipping beer and listening to the gospel. And I kept loving them, not shaming them or condemning them, but loving them and inviting them to Christ. They never came until one day I started in the side door of the Holy Church of God and a lady come and said, do you remember so-and-so? And I said, yes, I do. And they said, he's dying. He's at home. And they say he's not going to live a, another week, maybe. And I went to the home. And I saw this guy emaciated with cancer. I wouldn't have recognized him if I didn't know him. I, oh, well, he's just under pressure. He didn't mean it. Listen, whatever it takes, whosoever shall call 
I came to seek and to save. It's not my will that any perish. Nobody do I want to see go to hell. That's why I died on the cross. We prayed the sinner's prayer. I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel, I feel like a load is lifted off of me, preacher. I feel like a load. I said, are you ready to stand before God? Yes, I am. He said, but could I be baptized in water? I said, I can't take you to the river near the Hillsborough River. I can't take you to the river, but go get me a basin. Go get me a washcloth and go get me a towel. And I put the towel under his head and I held him up, put the towel under his head. I took the basin and I sprinkled him. Not because sprinkling is the type that we should choose. I believe in immersion for true baptism to represent what it represents. But this man is not trying to just represent something. He has received a gift by faith that was purchased by Christ on the cross. Hallelujah. Amen. And God is going to accept his desire to be right, to fulfill all righteousness through baptism. And I squeezed it until it just poured all over him and i said how do you feel now he said i feel good amen and then he did something he pulled me down to his bosom put both of his arms around me and whispered in my ear with what strength he had left and said i love you there is a scripture that says we know We have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Hallelujah. Praise God. He didn't need nobody to tell him. He didn't need to run it by a committee. He didn't need to submit it to somebody's ecclesiastical authority. He passed from death to life and fell in love with God and fell in love with me. That's one for the home team. And the angels danced. And Christ danced. And God danced. And there's joy in the presence of angels over one sinner that comes to repentance. Hallelujah. Now there's a lot of brethren don't love me like him. (laughs) There's a lot of church going brethren do not love me like him. Don't feel sorry for me. They don't love you like that either. In fact, they don't love much of nobody. And they don't care that sinners are going to hell. But they'll argue doctrine with you from daylight till dark. Look at the people that do that. They have no peace. They have no true joy. They look at everybody with a critical eye. Amen? You know people like that. They want to split hairs. You can say anything. I told one guy at work, I said, boy, you know, you're going to get it no matter what you do. I said, best thing you can do to avoid criticism is don't say anything. Don't do anything because I criticize the way you do it. Just, he said, you're wrong. I said, then they'll criticize you for not saying anything. Criticize you even more for not doing anything. So if you're going to say anything or do anything, somebody is going to find fault with what you say, how you say it, and how you do it. But when I present that soul before God, and I say, that guy right there, he's one of the people that I prayed with. Oh, and his friend 
Oh, by the way, that night, I was told he went to sleep peacefully in ICU and went to be with God. Two months later, his friend that sat with him dying. I went and I said, Christ will forgive you if you'll repent of your sin. I can't do that. I've lived in sin all my life. I can't call upon him now. He would not. He was adamant. I left. I said, listen, if you change your mind, I said to his caregiver, I said, if he changes his mind, will you call me? She said, yes, I will. And I walked away with a broken heart because I knew how much God wanted to save him. And I said, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Help this man. Don't let him go out of this world lost. You paid a price to save him. The blood of Jesus, I began to talk to the devil. And I said, devil, I know you want his soul. And you're not, now you've got his cooperation. But the blood of Jesus has a claim on him. Whether he receives it or not, the blood was shed for him. Amen. Listen, do you understand that? The blood was shed for that man. Whether he receives it or not, that will determine where he spends eternity. But the blood was shed for him. So the blood of Christ has a claim on him. And I said, devil, the blood of Jesus has a greater claim than you do on him. I plead the blood. Eight weeks went by and I didn't hear a word, but my phone rung in the office of the church. I wasn't even supposed to be in there that day, but I went in to pick up something. The phone rung and I picked it up. I said, you remember me? I'm so-and-so. I said, yes. I said, you remember the man you said and you prayed for? He asked to see you. Is there any way you could come? And I thought, there's no way I can't come. Right now, there's nothing on my agenda that can't be shifted so I can come and take care of business. This is God's business. This is what He died for. This is the bottom line. This is what church is all about. I walked in that bedroom, (laughs) amen, and the same thing happened again. He gratefully, when He got right down to the wire, He said, if there's hope in Jesus, I want it. If there's grace and mercy in God, I want it. I need it. I don't want to go out of this world without Him. I I didn't think He could forgive me, but somewhere in His heart of hearts, the love of God showed up and the love of God poured out and He sensed there is a God who loves me enough to forgive me even right here at the end of my terrible life that I've lived. I don't deserve it and that makes it that much more precious to me. How about you? The fact that I don't deserve it makes it that much more precious to me. Hallelujah. 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 So there's two. If I never did anything else in my life. Oh, and there's been many. Listen, if we keep talking about people that have had the opportunity to lead, lead to Jesus on the job, not just as a pastor, but as a person, we'd be here till midnight. And our time is way up. Did you get anything out of this? Hallelujah. Do you know God loves you today? And He loves you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, He has drawn you. That's why we're still in business. That's why we want to go on. Churches are taking care of sheep all over Tampa, all over the city. There's a church everywhere. I want to see some people come to know Jesus as their Savior. There are good pastors that will feed you. And I want to be one of them.
But I want to do more than feed the flock of God. I want to see sheep begin to bear sheep because they are healthy and they have enough of the love of God in their life to share that love and that witness and that testimony with somebody else. How many need the love of God to flow to you and through you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But God wants it to. That's the good news. God wants it to today. Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised. This is serious, but we're sincere Christians today. Let us be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not the initial baptism, but be being filled with the Spirit. That when those opportunities arise out of our belly, there shall flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. No one in here is truly, you may be shelved in your ministry, but not in your witness. And your witness is your greater ministry. Believe me. Leading these people to Christ is greater than anything I've done in church. You understand the value of a soul? The healings are secondary. The encouragement is secondary. All of the rest of it is secondary. The primary thing is to see someone come to Christ, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Hallelujah. Somebody give Him praise today. Everybody that has a heavy heart, God loves you. God understands it. Just don't stay in that condition. You don't have to. There is lifting up. 